Hello, everyone, and welcome to Inside Physician Recruiting. My name is Jerry Lamonta, and I'm here today with our guest, Ryan Calso. Uh, Ryan is Director of Recruiting with Pacific Companies. And Ryan, welcome to the podcast. Glad you're here. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jerry. Really excited to be a part of this. Yeah, you know, I understand, obviously, it's a crazy market and, you know, everybody's busy. So I, I definitely appreciate you taking the time to join us. So I just wanted to say that first. My pleasure. Um, yeah. You know, it, it's always sort of intrigued me. I don't think I've ever met anybody who is a physician recruiter that sort of grew up wanting to be a recruiter. So I'd love to start with just, you know, how did you fall into this industry? And maybe then tell us a little more about what you're doing in your current role with Pacific. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, you're spot on. Uh, I did not have any endeavor to uh, be a physician recruiter growing up. I uh, never saw myself in this industry. Really didn't even know what it was until I kind of tripped and fell into it. So uh, I've always had a knack for psychology, sales, and overall human interaction. And I was solicited by a corporate recruiter on LinkedIn, you know, stating the generic message uh, that you receive in your inbox almost every day. Yeah. You look at your profile and you look like you could be a great fit for XYZ. Would you like to set up a conversation? Uh, at first, you know, naturally I declined and I said I have no business in physician recruitment. Never done it. I had no idea what it was about. Um, I wasn't the happiest in my current role at the time, so uh, I did ask her to follow up with me three months from then, and she did to the day, and I, I pride myself on follow-ups like that, so I really respected that and had a conversation with her and thought, okay, I could, I could be pretty good at this, I think. So I ended up interviewing, got the position. Uh, the first five months, as any other physician recruiter will probably agree with, was like drinking from a fire hose. Uh, quickly grasped those concepts and, and loved having my hand in a little bit of everything. Uh, you have consulting, recruiting, sales, contract negotiation, strategy, and, and more. So since then, I feel like I've grown into a pretty successful uh, recruiter, but the learning never stops. So yeah. uh, as far as my current role, uh, like you said, I'm a, I'm a director at Pacific Companies here. Um, I'm still full production, which I very much love. I, I love being a producer, helping my clients and helping my candidates. Um, you know, not much has changed as I've kind of climbed that ladder from recruiter to senior to director and hopefully into further leadership roles here, but still run that full desk with several open positions. Uh, I represent them from start to finish across multiple specialties across the nation, whether it be family medicine, general surgery, anesthesiology, OBGYN, you name it. Um, so I really enjoy kind of having that autonomy uh, over how I run my book of business. Uh, really enjoy working for Pacific, fantastic culture. Uh, I look at it as my own business, but my company provides the tools and resources and the support where I need it to run my business. Awesome. In terms of specialties, you know, obviously there's always this ebb and flow and things change with different markets, but what are you seeing out there right now as the specialties that are the just the most difficult to find candidates in? I would say the two toughest ones right now are urology and gastroenterology. Uh, really anything that ends with ology is probably pretty tough right now, but uh, you know, they've always been pretty tough, but COVID really kind of exacerbated a lot of that. And we'll talk you know more about that today, I'm sure. But 
you know, ASC shutting down, people can't do those outpatient surgeries, private practice closing because they can't generate enough revenue. So you have these masses of people looking, but it's very much a buyer's market. So it's it's how much can you give me and, and where's it at right now? Um, so there's a lot of places, especially in those rural areas that are really, really struggling. Yeah, it, it's such a strange time. I mean, I remember, you know, as COVID was starting, literally nobody was doing anything. I mean, doctors were standing around just kind of hanging out because nothing was happening except in a couple of key specialties. And, you know, now it seems like we've gone completely the other way where every specialty is a challenge. You know, everybody has needs and there's just struggles everywhere. Um, you know, I guess kind of talking on that whole COVID side, if you look at from when you joined until now, obviously the role has changed as well, but what would you say some of the biggest changes you've seen in the marketplace or in terms of things you're hearing from providers or just kind of things within the company that that are different? Yeah. Um, I mean, overall, the market, like you said, it's, it's crazy. <laughs> it's always been crazy, but I don't know if I've seen a crazier time, at least in my experience and from what I've heard in the past here. But uh, it's always been a complex scene, right? And, and COVID did exacerbate that. You know, we have an exodus of physicians leaving the workforce to retire early or not practice through the fear of their practices closing down, not generating enough revenue, patient access, getting sick. You know, there, there's a lot of fear there. So uh, perhaps the biggest shift I've seen um, was in relation to telehealth. You know, I think we were going to go that route and it was coming anyways, but it really pushed that telehealth scene forward, especially in the mental health world. So. Uh, personally, that's the biggest thing I've seen is that shift in, in mental health, patient access, and just overall telehealth. And I think we're going to continue seeing an increase in that shift, especially uh, in that world as, you know, CMS, Medicare and Medicaid uh, expand their codes and, and services to include further access to telehealth, especially across state lines, uh, even in other specialties. It's coming. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I guess if anything good came out of COVID, I would have to say that it's, you know, the the speeding up of telehealth and this whole movement of, you know, making work from home something that was acceptable. So I guess that's the silver lining of what was a, an interesting couple of years there. In yeah. your job, what, what would you say is the most difficult piece of your job? I know obviously there's a lot of things you're doing, but what is the most difficult thing that you kind of deal with day in, day out? Um, you know, it's, I mean, it's, it's the grind, the, the valleys, uh, it's, it's very much peaks and valleys in this industry, in this business. And your hope is to eliminate those valleys as you consistently learn how to manage your time and run your business and predict your business. But it's a dreadful place. Uh, we all fall to it at some point or at multiple points, you know, if we're talking from a production standpoint. Uh, it happens early in a recruiter's career after they see an initial amount of success, maybe read some of their press clippings, right? It definitely happened to me. Um, so you have to understand those. You have to understand the ebbs and flows. There's really no time off. Uh, if you take time off now or get complacent, you will have a valley in two to three months. It's very much a consistent business. So learning to plan, predict your business accurately, and stay organized with a sense of urgency to build and maintain that momentum is absolutely crucial. Um, get used to hearing no, because you'll hear it a lot. Uh, hearing no is, is a good thing in my mind. It's a, it's a conversation starter. So from a production standpoint, that the other toughest thing is um, just 
just going back to the market, it's it's a crazy time. You know, you've got a lot of clients trying to make competitive offers. Some are limited by their funding, especially if they're in a rural area getting assistance or if they're a not-for-profit community health center. Getting specific funding can be tough sometimes, and it's hard to allocate those numbers in the budget, and, and really they can't compete with the big health system. So it's kind of big eat small here. You know, the big metros can afford that kind of stuff, and the rural areas can't, and we're already seeing quite a shortage there. So it's, it's tough to overcome sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, you know, one thing that I used to do a lot in that regard is try to illustrate to the candidate that, yes, maybe the money is more in the metro area, but if you look at a cost of living comparison, you might find that you're still better off in that rural area, just overall even making less money. So just something to throw out there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So how would your candidates that, you know, you've been working with and you've kind of taken maybe full cycle, how do you think they would describe working with you versus other people they've, you know, encountered in the past? Um, it's a good question. You know, I do my best to, to get testimonials and everything. And I think I'm, I'm probably a little biased towards myself, but a couple of things taken from testimonials that uh, they have provided, I think, you know, honest, realistic, respectful. Um, you know, I had one physician tell me that uh, they encountered many recruiters and really were left feeling disappointed because we had difficulty finding the ideal place to start her career. So uh, she did say she felt her needs weren't entirely being addressed and sometimes felt forgotten, which I think is all too common in this industry. Uh, and her experience was the opposite with me. She felt that I genuinely listened and understood what uh, she was looking for. And I made the effort to understand the complexity of her situation, especially being on a J-1 visa, working with a client in Arkansas that had never sponsored a visa before. So walking her through that roadmap, um, I think just meant so much to her. So, um, you know, being able to circumvent those issues are, are all crucial. But at the end of the day, uh, I pride myself on, on genuine curiosity and actually wanting to help. You know, it's not about me. Um, this, I tell all my candidates, saying no is okay. You know, if, if my position's a fit, great. We'll go over it together and we'll figure that out. But at the end of the day, if it's not, I'm not here to sell this to you. I'm not here to get paid a buck on the back end and hopes you'll go there. If I can't help you, I at least want to be able to point you in the right direction. Yeah, no, it's a great point because I think so many people get caught up in the, you know, I have these jobs that I need to fill and, you know, sell if you would. And, they lose sight of the conversation that, you know, you're not just getting a contract signed. I mean, you're getting somebody to move, move with their family. I mean, there's a lot that goes into it. And if they're not really sold on being there, it's not going to be a good fit for the client, for them. And, you know, it's obviously something that's not going to feel good as a recruiter as well. So that, that's certainly appreciated. Yeah. I, I guess it certainly kinda, doesn't help. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, kind of adding on to that, I mean, what would you say if someone asked you, what are three traits that it takes to be a good recruiter? Uh, I would say humility is, is definitely one of them. Um, your ability to have integrity as well, uh, and then your work ethic. Um, so integrity, first and foremost, you have to be the person who's gonna do what you say you're gonna do uh, that people can count on. Uh, so you're reliable, you're available. Um, work ethic, very much so. Uh, this is a business where hard work will always beat talent. 
Ideally, you want a little bit of talent sprinkled in with a lot of hard work, but um, this job can be very hard if you make it hard, or it can be very easy, especially if you have that work ethic and, and learn the systems and the processes. Uh, and then humility. Uh, I see a lot of really great recruiters fall through the cracks because they've got what it takes, but it, it becomes a pride and an ego thing. And they think they know it all. They don't want to ask for help. They don't strategize with people to close candidates or get a different perspective. And you've got to be humble. You've got to not be afraid to ask for help and know that there's always something to learn. Um, I've learned things from brand new recruiters who yeah. have never done this before. And I've learned things from executives. So there's always something to learn there. Yeah. So here's a question I actually had, had put on a LinkedIn poll and, and found it interesting. If you had a superpower as a recruiter, the first option being all calls that you make get answered. So every time you call a prospect, they're going to pick up the phone. The second option is every can, I'm sorry, every email you send, 100% deliverability. Third option, you can read your candidate's mind. So either all your calls get answered, all your emails get delivered, or you could read your candidate's mind. What would you pick? Um, I would say all my calls get answered. Um, I don't want to be able to read anybody's mind, Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> I think that would be a blessing and a curse. But um, I mean, sure, it would be great in some regard to know exactly what they're thinking. But, um, you know, everything else is a medium to, to get people on the phone. So that's why I chose that over email deliverability, mm -hmm. which a lot of my responses do come from emails, but utilize that to get people on the phone and have a conversation because when you're able to, to empathize and to sympathize with someone and come from that place of genuine curiosity, uh, oftentimes you don't need to read their mind. They'll, they'll tell you what they're thinking. Uh, and I think that's what makes a good recruiter a great recruiter is the ability to sit back and listen and truly understand their needs and, and let them tell you confidently whether they know they got to that end result by themselves or with your help or not. Uh, that they can trust in you to share that transparent feeling, you know, what's going right. through their brain. Is this the job for me? Is this not the job for me? Exactly. So if you could invent any tool, resource, website, as a recruiter that could deliver you anything, what would you do? Hmm. Well, if, if I could design any tool, you know, I think it would need to involve lead procurement. Um, the entire foundation of a recruiter's success is based on the amount of sourcing he or she is able to accomplish. So uh, I think it'd be really tough to create this, but we're probably on our way there over the next 5, 10, 15 years with, with AI and robots and stuff. And I've seen some articles and it's kind of scary to think about especially after the Terminator movies. But uh, uh, as, as soon as you take that human element out of it, leads tend to become unsuitable and make your situation worse, uh, where you have to kind of cross the threshold of utilizing more of your time sifting through candidates that you may or may not be able to use. So if you could design some sort of AI bot that had uh, you know, the characteristics of the human, it had empathy and the ability to match specific data with specific leads and send accurate reports, that would be huge. But I, I don't think we're ever going to out, outrun our need to source. Uh, it comes with the territory, and uh, you, it gives you a sense of control from start to finish. And 
sometimes I think it's hard to relinquish that control. So as these AI and robotics, hopefully with some empathy, uh, come forward, uh, I think that'll be the next battle is relinquishing the control to them. You know, it, it's interesting, um, you know, on the whole thing with, with AI and robotics and all that, where, where do you see the future? I mean, five, 10 years from now, I mean, obviously, you know, a lot of what we do could be automated. And, you know, to what you said earlier, the more you can sort of automate things to happen consistently, you avoid those peaks and valleys, you know, because so often what happens in recruiting is, you know, you're, you're really focused on this, you know, lead generation, all of a sudden you've got a bunch of candidates in the hopper, and then you're kind of working them through the process and you've got a bunch of offers. And then once those deals start to happen, all of a sudden you're back to, I've got a bunch of jobs and I need more candidates. So what do you think, you know, five, 10 years from now as AI and robotics and, and all this stuff kicks in, do you think there's still a place for physician recruiters in that world? I do. Um, kind of going back to my point earlier, it's I think it's going to be really hard to match the emotional intelligence that humans have and kind of that deep frequency we have with each other. You know, even just you and I conversing here, a robot may be able to say the right things and respond to the right things, but can they do it with empathy? Can they do it with the proper tone and, and influx? You know, it's I don't think we'll ever look at that as another human being and be able to connect with them the same way and ultimately that connection is is what drives relationships and, and success i'm a firm believer so i think it's coming and i think it's going to have their place but in five years i don't think much will change maybe 10 years is probably more of the timeline but i'm not an it guy or and uh, uh anything like that so uh the healthcare industry is pretty recession proof right now you know there's massive ever-growing shortage of physicians and more opportunities to choose from than they know what to do with. So systems are always gonna need help recruiting. Uh, you know, we'll probably sprinkle some AI and maybe some automated processes in there. You know, we already use some like, you know, mass texting and, and mass emailing. It's pretty nice. I don't have to send a thousand individual emails anymore, but um, uh, I think if anything, we're gonna see a lot more subscription-based recruitment firms pop up. Uh, that seems to be the new thing that I'm seeing where you know, instead of having these contingent firms or these retained firms or mix, it's going to be a monthly subscription type fee. And it'll still be contingent for the most part. But I think those types of firms will have a lot of automated processes and streamline a lot of things that make it cost effective and attractive uh, to some systems. Um, I don't think that's the right way to go it, personally. Um, but I, I think it's coming. And, you know, those systems might look to other methods as well to improve their internal recruitment processes yeah. to save on cost. That could be where the AI stuff comes in, you know, like chat with me now on their website, talk to me about what career look for, things like that. So it's coming, but I don't think there's gonna be an elimination of uh, our role anytime soon. You know, it's an interesting time, right? You've got less providers, you have more firms seemingly every year entering the marketplace. Those firms are competing against each other the firms collectively are, in a way, competing against hospitals because you're, you're ultimately going for the same talent. It's interesting, right? I mean, what's going to happen with that dynamic in, in the next couple of years with you know, potentially margins shrinking and, and pricing then going up on the hospital side? 
I think the more that technology can create efficiencies in all, you know, areas and all players in that space, it definitely is going to allow for hopefully an easing and, and some other areas to improve the healthcare staffing market. So, yeah. you know, looking out, you know, down the line, I mean, if, if you take somebody who maybe they're just getting out of college and they're kind of seeing on their LinkedIn feed, you know, this whole industry and it's kind of piquing their interest, what thoughts or advice would you have to somebody that is entertaining to get into this as a recruiter or maybe even as a salesperson? Yeah. Uh, first question you have to ask yourself is, do you love talking to people and do you love being on the phone? Um, I can confidently say I don't love talking to people all the time, but uh, I do enjoy helping people. And you have to have kind of that passion to be on the phone and, and have that work ethic. So if you have any sort of reluctance to speak to people, I really don't think this is the job for you. This job is not for, I'm, I'm not going to say introverts, but it, it's for people who are able to provide value through conversational tools. We're professional conversationalists in a way. So if you have a passion for, you know, linguistic, excuse me, linguistics and grammar and, you know, just uh, helping people, uh, I think you could go a long way with just that. And uh, conversely, if, if you do love to speak to people, make sure you adjust your lens to that level of deep care and curiosity and uh, listen more than, you're, more than you speak. Yeah. Make people feel heard. Um, I forget who told me this probably five, six years ago, but um, I was, I'm, I'm pretty fast brained and, and not always the most patient, but I've learned to become patient. And, um, he, he phrased it as pause for people. Whenever you're talking to someone interacting like you are over the phone, put aside all distractions, set down your phone. Don't try to multitask. It's not possible. Monotasking is where it's at. Take true attention to, to what you're trying to focus on and hear them out. Uh, secondarily, um, quit drinking. <laughs> it clouds the mind. Um, you know, obviously alcohol is a huge role in our uh, country here. Um, and it's, it's fun here and there. It's great for socialization events, but you know, when you have that work ethic and that deep desire to succeed and help as many people as possible, and that's really what drives you, um, it, it just clouds the mind. So, uh, you'll be much more efficient in the industry and life without it. Um, you're going to have to work some long hours in this and, you're talking to C-suite and executive level members, so you better be sharp and on point if you want to make an impact. Yeah. Uh, and then related to that, take care of your health. Uh, this job is very stressful if you let it be. Um, it's, again, mastering those systems and processes professionally and within yourself. You know, Take your time. Make sure you allocate time to work out, disconnect, reset, meditate, and just take care of yourself. Um, it's, it's all too crucial. Uh, if, if I don't, and I'm just go, 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 that's when things start to become overwhelming. You have to know when to pause, take a few breaths, give yourself some grace to say, it's okay. I'm not doing anything right this second. And I'm sitting on the couch reading a book. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's on the, the listening part that you were talking about, even myself, you know, it's hard because so often as we're listening, we're almost just kind of waiting for, you know, our, we're preparing our response, right? And you can't do that and at the same time really be listening. So I even find myself trying to stop that. So I, I think that's a great point. I think on the whole health idea, that's another another area, especially obviously after the last couple of years, but this industry can be very stressful. And, you know, we've all had days where, you know, one minute it's like the greatest news in the world 
a couple hours later, everything falls apart. And then a couple hours later, everything's right again. So you've got to, there's a, there's a saying I always used to, to tell people is things are never as good or as bad as they seem. So as long as you can kind of just stay in the middle and not get too worked up with the highs or the lows, I think that definitely helps to keep you even keel with that as well. Um, Absolutely. I agree. In terms of just kind of industry news and, you know, there's somebody publications out there and websites and conferences. What, what is sort of your go-to place to just kind of get a pulse on what's going on? You know, what are other people seeing, hearing, experiencing? So I don't use a, a lot of tools and resources like that. One I do subscribe to is Becker's Hospital Review. It's probably the most common, most popular one, but it's, it's really a one-stop shop in my mind, and I don't feel that it's biased or opinionated. It's mostly factual. Um, you know, you've got all your training and update to up-to-date information regarding hospitals, ASCs, clinics, IT, dental, payers, all that good stuff. So uh, you can even find information on closing hospitals, CEO resignations, appointments, uh, Medicare, Medicaid updates, mergers, EHRs, you name it. So it really kind of gives you a forefront of everything in the healthcare industry and I just find it very beneficial, especially from a sourcing aspect when you say, oh, hospital closing down, guess where I'm gonna call? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I get, I mean, I think I'm a couple of different of their newsletters and you know, I get those emails and I don't think I've ever had one where there's not at least one article in there that's you know actionable in, in some way. So that's definitely a great tool. Yeah. Um, so last question for you, a little bit kind of away from the, the recruiting thing. What's one thing that you would recommend to the audience, be it a movie, a book, a gadget, a restaurant, just what would you recommend and why? Yeah, I've, I've got uh, several things I typically recommend to people. Um, books, first and foremost, you know, those self-development books are, are very, very key. A lot of those things translate over. So uh, a couple examples there. It, that I've really adopted, books I've read that really correlated over and really took my business to a whole new level. Uh, the first one is Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink, former military guy, uh, just on accountability and responsibility and, and not pointing fingers, you know, looking for solutions, not problems and taking ownership and seeing what you can do to fix it. Uh, that's a mindset you have to have. So I highly recommend reading that book, adopting into not only your professional life, but your personal life as well. Um, people have a lot more respect for people that take ownership and fix a problem versus people that make an excuse and don't. So it's hard to do at first, but I promise you it's awesome and worth it at the end. Uh, Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. I've read this book several times. We're doing another book study on it in my company right now. Uh, former FBI negotiator just talking about negotiating somebody in or out of a situation. Uh, a lot of great takeaways from there, especially labeling sounds like it feels like it looks like um empathy uh your late night dj fm radio voice as he calls it uh and then gap selling by keenan is exactly what it says you know someone's here and they want to get here how can you provide value by filling that gap and that generally comes through listening and asking questions and providing a solution the biggest thing that has uh, helped me and that i really love to listen to as part of my morning routine is the Ed Milet podcast. Uh, he has a lot of fantastic guests on here, business people, entrepreneurs, um, athletes, uh, people who have overcome trials and tribulations, 
a little bit of everything. And his show is just, it's super inspiring. It only lasts about 60 minutes. So, uh, Ed, you're welcome for the free plug. I'm sure you'll never hear this, but <laughs> it's a great podcast. Um, and then lastly, I will put a little plug in uh, for my mother, who is a fantastic life and career coach. You can just go to kelsocoach.com if uh, you want to look into life coaching or consulting and career development. That's awesome. Yeah, it's, yeah I would definitely agree with you on all of those. Um, the Chris Voss book is fantastic. You know, obviously the, the situations that he was able to get people out of and just the the little nuances of language that made it happen is it's kind of crazy if you think about it. So definitely agree with you there. Jocko Willink, you know, every time I read him, it makes me feel bad because, you know, it's like if you sleep past four, you feel like you're you're cheating yourself. So definitely somebody that gets you motivated. Um, yeah, no doubt. And then I guess the last thing I would say is, you know, if anybody listening to this, you know, is on the in-house side and, you know, maybe they are struggling with, you know, finding candidates, um, you know, in PERM or locum capacity, and they, they did want to reach out to you, what's the best way for someone to get in touch with you? Yeah, uh, phone or email. Um, email is probably best, just uh, I'm on the phone most of the day. So if you want to catch me, I'll see that. But um, I'm very happy to have a no-pressure conversation and just seek to understand what you're trying to accomplish. And like I said before, if, if my firm can help you, uh, we will figure that step out together and how we can partner together. But if I can't, I'll, I'll tell you. I'll be the first to tell you. And hopefully I can point you in the right direction. So uh, my email is r and then k-a-l-s-o-w at pacificcompanies.com. Uh, and you can also call or text me at 469-425-9817. Awesome. Well, Ryan, I, I really appreciate your time today. I think you shared a lot of really good stuff. And I think, you know, anybody listening could definitely get a couple pieces of advice there to help them take their business to the next level or, or just, you know, manage it all a better way. So really appreciate you having you on. And um, hopefully we can do this again in the future sometime. I would love to, Jerry. Thanks so much for having me, and I uh, hope you have a great rest of your day and week. Awesome. I appreciate it.